Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. And we are the Evangelicals. It's Christmas time. Merry Christmas. Do you feel like it's Christmas? No. Why not? I don't know. I just feel like when you get older, it's like, man, it's Christmas. Like, it's just hard to, I don't know, maybe the anticipation isn't as great as when you're a child. So it just feels like, I don't know. Did you grow up in Georgia or mm-hmm. Alabama? Georgia. So in Georgia, do you sing white, like, do people sing white Christmas? Like, is white Christmas on the radio in Georgia? <laughs> yeah. I mean. They but the thing, is, the thing is, I go to Florida. We're going to Florida. To but visit the thing my is, when, when that song's playing, no one in Georgia <laughs> is dreaming of something that they used to know. What it, you know, what I'm saying I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. I guess, Just yeah. like the words I used to. It's like you never knew a white Christmas. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess it's more about the heartfelt emotions <laughs> than it is about the actuality <laughs> of the situation. I've never ridden in a worn one horse open sleigh either. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, good grief! I I I don't know that I've thought critically about that lyric ever. Speaking of song lyrics, oh, what fun is... it is to write! I've never written in a one horse <laughs> oh, open. I mean, I don't even. Is it fun? Oh, it could be fun. terrible. It could be the worst experience ever. Oh, but... what fun! <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you know, I've not, I've actually not thought critically about that. Speaking of song lyrics, um, this is very off topic, but it just popped into my head and I've always wanted to say this to somebody who's listening. I'm I'm listening. <laughs> so there's a song that, that uh we've sung in the church over the last decade, maybe even more than that. It's worse um sing your praise will ever be on my lips. I think it's that I think it's that song. And in the song it talks about God's faithfulness and it uses the analogy of winter rains. And I think I think it comes out of the fact that the song's written in Northern California, where in the winter it rains. Right, right. And I've always thought to myself, that is such a localized lyric, because what? And um, I was in a I was in a service where people were singing the song in Ohio, and they sang "Winter Rain," and legitimately, I had not heard the song before. I didn't know who wrote it, and I thought that's strange. In Ohio, it actually snows. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, yeah, and, which is just. Um, we this is what we do. We sing songs about experiences that we've not had. Yeah. And we just own it. You know? Yeah. yeah. I sing about the winter rain. I sing about the one horse open sleigh. I sing about the the the, the frostiness of Christmas about you know that I used to know when I didn't used to know it. Right. You know? I think that yeah, you know, I mean you can't look too too deep into these things. You just you're gonna ruin Christmas. Yeah, you're gonna ruin all these songs that are just, you know, <laughs> just to jump on the old bandwagon and the whole uh, everybody's talking about the song "Mary Did You Know" and everybody's f- freaking out about. Yeah, she did know. Have you read Luke chapter one? <laughs> it's like, come on, you know, like I don't. Hey, do you love that song? I love that song. I do too, because I don't know that she knew what the future. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, the the little. The little version that she gets from the angel that we get in Luke, you know, you're you're blessed. Um, the spirit of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. The one who be conceived in you will be 
uh, born of the spirit, right? Um, he'll be great. He'll be called son of the most, or you're to give him the name Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. Right. What does that even mean? To a teenage girl. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, come on. Let's lay off uh, Mark Lowry. I think he wrote a beautiful song that I think we- It's, it's, a, it's a good song. That we are overanalyzing and just, uh, like, come on. Come on. Yeah. Come on, man. Was that what they say? That is, yeah, that is what they say. <laughs> Them. Those people. We can't say who because then we've- like, Copyright infringement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is there actual trademark. <laughs> so it is Christmas time. And because it's Christmas time and we are the evangelicals, we are going to talk today about the significance of the incarnation. What does it even mean that God comes to us? What did it even mean historically? That this, this claim. Uh, so I... I, I studied uh, a couple of years at the University of Chicago, which is somewhat of a secular institution, and I'm now studying at the University of Dayton, which is a historically Catholic institution. And we were talking about history one day um, and deconstructionism, but the conversation was very positive, at least more positive than it had been at the University of Chicago. And I was just, I was struggling with some things in my own intellect, and I, and I said, you know, we're sitting here kind of deconstructing history but the but the tone of the conversation seems very positive. It seems optimistic. And one of the one of the students, one of the Catholic students, looked at me and said, "Well, Jonathan, here we find great hope in history because we actually believe in the incarnation. We may be deconstructing the way that we talk about history, but we actually find there to be meaning in talking about history because God." is actually in history. Huh. And it was a very just compelling thought. Yeah. You know, and I feel like, you know, Jeremy and I, we dabble in academics. We like to talk about philosophy a little bit, even when we're not talking about philosophy. The, if there's ever a philosopher listening to our podcast, to be like, oh, this, these guys are, you know, talking about some philosophical concepts here. But we, we are, we are evangelical in the sense that we, legitimately believe in and have given our lives to a God that enters into history mm. and we see ourselves as a part of the historical drama that is playing out between God and humanity in the world you know you can jump in Jeremy that no I sound like you're gonna say something else I think that potentially a re Maybe one of the reasons, I don't know, that we, that this is a hard concept for potentially those who call themselves Protestants and maybe why a Catholic student might have a better feel for, for this is I feel like, I feel like something that is grounding for a lot of, of Roman Catholics and Episcopalians is, is liturgy. And the reason why I think this is a big deal it's because I think sometimes in Protestant church now, I know this is a big generalization, so I'm not trying to, this may not be you, but um, our worship can be very, um, sometimes all over the place. But I think there's something that when the world is going crazy and things are happening, I always know that, that my liturgy 
is going to be consistent and it's going to be there. So sometimes when the world's going crazy and you come to church and it can be all over the place and there's not something that kind of centers us, it can, it can feel kind of um, disjointing. Um, it can feel kind of um, sporadic. It can, f- it, but, but the understanding of how people who are more liturgical, it's always there. And I think it might give a sense and a, a feeling of no matter how crazy it is, God is always there. There always there's, there's always this steady. There's always mm. this this base maybe base note you might say that the tenor and the alto may be going all over the place, but but the consistency of the fact that God is with us is made maybe evident in the fact that. We have, they have these practices that they are, they're always there. (laughs) They're always calling. They're always centering. They're always forming and always shaping that no matter how crazy it gets, I know I have that to remind me that God is with us in the midst of it all. And that could be totally unfair. I don't know, but it's just something that that kind of hit me. John opens his gospel in his prelude. He says... The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is verse 14 of of John 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. When I think of glory, I think of splendor. I think of majesty. I think of something that is beyond, beyond me. What's interesting about that verse in John, he says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Jesus wasn't particularly glorious. The scripture tells us he was actually rather homely. Yeah. But John says that this is the glory of God. Hmm. This person this word made manifest to us. And as I think about Christmas, this time of Advent, I do think about expectations. And uh, my wife my wife made a theological connection for me that I thought was just absolutely brilliant the other day. She was talking about Mary's Magnificat and about how, you know, Mary says that she was blessed. And Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, when he stands up to give what would be his most famous sermon, he begins by telling people who are blessed or who are the blessed ones. And the blessed ones are the meek ones, the ones that mourn. The peacemakers. The persecuted. The, the persecuted, yeah. The ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when I when I think about that list, there's nothing glorious about the list. Yeah. You know? Yeah. In some ways, when I think about the incarnation, I wonder so so we 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 have made Christmas into a glorious and glorified holiday. Mm. And it's fun. I love me some Christmas. Oh, yeah. You know? It's great. 
Silver bells. I mean, there's songs that you haven't sung all year that you get to Christmas enjoy is a blast. Today, whether they're actually accurate about your current situation, <laughs> they're still lovely. Whether or not you've ever actually ridden in a one-horse open sleigh. So we've glorified, we've glamorized yeah. Christmas, but it is as if... So, so I said my my wife made this theological connection. You know, Mary. Mary understands herself to be blessed, and Jesus defines blessing as the people who are lowly. Hmm. And John says, "This is what the glory of God looks like." This homely guy who came and was crucified. Yeah. John also says. In my opinion, I may have said this before, one of the most tragic verses in all of scripture, he came to that which was his own and his own did not receive him. Yeah. What a tragedy. Yeah. The story of, of Christ coming is an utter tragedy. I think that, so I asked my congregation a question on Sunday and the question was, have you ever thought about having a baby in a barn? And I think that, um, and so I think sometimes we do romanticize this when Jesus was born. For sure. And, and so I was just trying to kind of have some fun with it. And I was like, and, and my wife, she was awesome. You know, we're giving our wives the shout outs today. But um, in birthing, she was great. Like I, I, she was not me. I mean, it was awesome. But I said, I'm, I imagine if it was in a barn, it probably would have been a different story. And so I was like, you know, was Mary saying, Hey Joseph, can you get the sheep out of my face? Like, do you see what I'm trying to do here? You know? And just, just, but we've turned it into this like light shining down from, but nobody even knew that, that he was being born, you know, like it, it, it well, was very humble. Yeah. It was not a we, we, glorious we, thing. I guess we, t- we turn it up. We turn, we have turned the story into in some way, maybe Mary and Joseph wanted to be to have their baby in a barn. Like when the story is told that they kind of get there to the barn and they try to make it comfortable, you know, they make they make pillows out of hay, you know, and put cloth over it and this sort of thing. Um, the sense the sense probably is that the water has broken, right? I mean, just as you read the text, it's like. They weren't looking for the barn. There was no other place. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're, there's no room for them. Joseph's like, hey, you don't understand. My wife needs to have a baby. And instead of inviting him into the house, he says, the, you know, the guy says, let's go out back. But in, in the utter tragedy of it is not even just the fact that it's in a barn, but the fact that Joseph's from such a religious family that he goes to his hometown and none of his cousins will let them will let him and his his pregnant girlfriend stay the night because they're so fundamentalist. They're so religious. They're like, no, you got her pregnant. You know, this is on you, man. You know, and so he's like, fine. You know, so he goes to the innkeeper. You know, yeah. this per, you know he's trying to find somebody, and they're like, no. Furthermore, like, have you not heard? Everybody's back in town that's related. To somebody go stay with your cousins what's wrong with you i mean it's such a the situation is just terrible it's a terrible 
terrible social situation, a terrible existential situation, a terrible birthing circumstance. It's just awful. And yet, I think it makes who Jesus is maybe more relatable than anything else. And the fact that shepherds come and, you know, the lowly, and I I think it gives people an understanding and a hope that, you know, he wasn't born in a palace. Do you think he makes it more accessible? Well, do you, do you think that God's, do you think that God's terrible at marketing or do you think that, or do you think the angels missed the address? Like, do you think like the angels, like they show up in the field and like they thought this was when they were supposed to show up and it's like, (laughs) they're like, oh shoot. GPS was like, oh shoot. Well, we're already here and they're here. So we're just going to do our song and dance routine because, uh, you know, I think the whole gospel (laughs) message was terrible marketing. Oh, it was from an American perspective. Jesus was awful at yes. Self-promotion. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's like, we got this big crowd. Let's go somewhere else. Right? Like, yes. Let's all the things that you would. Hey, don't tell anybody. Yeah. Dude, that was your best <laughs> miracle. I'm telling yeah. everybody. Yeah. Like, we, you know, like I said, I feel like, but I think once again speaks to where we find ourselves in the church. And maybe we emphasize the wrong things too and, and promote the things that, that, not against the gospel, but they don't promote the trueness of what it means that Jesus actually did come and how he chose to come and that those things are vitally important, like hugely important as to how we, we should structure ourselves and, and think about what it means to be a part of the gospel and what is the gospel. And and so I think that all of these things, like I said, I think it's fun to think about and, and, and kind of, you know, riff on a little bit with jokes, but I think it's vitally important that God was sending. This was the marketing. This is what the gospel is. This is what it's all about. And, and we, this is who I am. Um, you know, we've probably talked about it before, but I think Jürgen Moltmann, a German theologian talks about it was important for it to be crucifixion because it happened outside the city and that God came for those who were on the outside. Like the, the location was important. Um, because it was another symbol or another, hey, this is the marketing. This is who we're coming. This is what this gospel. This is who this gospel is for. Is not those, and and who are the high and the lofty. Back to Mary's magnificent. Those people are coming down, and the low are going to be lifted up. And 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 so just everything about who Jesus was and the fact that he came is he. Everything was intentional. I feel like, and he was trying to show us and. Um, teach us, but also show us by what he did, who he did it with, how he did it. This is what I really want you to be about as well. And, and so, you know, the, the Eugene Peterson version, like he moved into the neighborhood, like, what does it look like for God to continually be moving into our neighborhoods? And if he's the example of what God looks like, um, then, then maybe we should take some cues. I don't know. Take some cues from that. Yeah, I mean the the incarnation is is something that is <clears throat> that is profound as far as a, a story is concerned, 
you know, there's a lot of criticism of history right now in the world. So, and, and a lot of people are arguing about the way that history has been told. You know, it is true that privileged classes or upper classes have in many ways been the, the people that have told the story, you know, of history. And so, you know, there's a suspicion of bias in these types of things in the histories that we have handed down to us. One of the most remarkable things about the story of Jesus is that it is a story of the lowest. Yeah. And it really is just this incredible testimony told by fishermen, shepherds, tax collectors, you know, very few members of the aristocracy play a role in the story of Jesus. And one of the, one of the things that I think about when I think about the incarnation is I, you know, I think about the places that you and I live, Lima and Paulding, Ohio. You know, Northwest Ohio is, as much as I would like to glorify it, it's not the world's number one priority. You know, it's not, it's not a place when people wake up, when people wake up every day to go to the refinery in Lyme, Ohio for work, they don't think to themselves, and I'm really, really important. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it's a very, I've, I've lived, you know, close to Chicago and, and now here, those are the two places I've spent a significant amount of time in my life. Chicago has such a different feeling. Like you, you get on the Dan Ryan and you're like a part of this just mass of people and you drive into the masses, the skyscrapers with the lights and, and you feel every time I'm in the city, I just feel like I'm a, a part of something really big and rich and important, you know? Uh, and I love that feeling. I love it. It's so fun. It's like exhilarating on the one hand. And every time I, you know, I go and visit the city and then I, I come back here to Lima, you know, and I, the aesthetics aren't really the greatest and the the engineering, the layout of the town really isn't the most brilliant, you know. You sit at a train tracks more minutes in the day than, than you would than you would want to. I I think about how you know, I think about my own life and I, I do wonder sometimes, you know, how trivial is it? How important am I? Am I am I making a difference? Am do I even matter? You know, I, I ask the kind of the existential questions that people in Lima ask. Yeah. But the thing about the incarnation is Jesus, Jesus comes to, it's people like me that Jesus comes to, mm. you know, and somehow, somehow the intuitive wise men from the East recognize that they, that something massive is happening in the universe you know, and they come and it's the kings that bow down to the lowly babe, you know. And yeah, I, I realize this is probably after the birth, right? Everybody who's upset about Wiseman being at the nativity. I'm not trying to start an argument here. <clears throat> but the 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 power of the incarnation for me in many ways is the recognition that I'm kind of I'm kind of one of the shepherds. You know, um, 
just kind of out in the field doing my thing, you know? Yeah. And, and, and God, God sends messengers saying, Hey, I'm here. And it's funny that when Jesus, when Jesus grows up and he tells the story about the judgment, he says, Hey, what you did for the least of these, those were, those, that was me. Yeah. Those were messengers. The, the story has incredible integrity all the way through from the message to from the message of the angel to Mary to the shepherds to Jesus's sermon on the mount to his vision of of how we were going to be judged it's about the lowly it's about incarnation it's about coming to that which doesn't understand to those people who maybe never would fully get it yeah it's it's just it's a remarkable flipping of the prioritization of the world and for some reason for some reason, 2,000 years later, we're still talking about it. I think that something that's f- fun to think about, and I don't do it a whole lot, but what, like if Jesus were to show up in the year 2021 and enter the world, where, what would that look like? And what what's, what's the town, right? Like what's the village? What's the... Um, and and we we've built up so much of power and who we think is important that I I really feel like we we believe that if Jesus were to come back today that it it would either be different or it would be in 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 a different place it would be a place that we would know about so that everybody could see him so that everybody would 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 fall in line but I, I think you're right that when you look at, at scripture and a scripture I, tr- I bring up sometimes to, to our people is I think it's in Hebrews where it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And then you look at Revelation five that the lion is the lamb like there's you, you can't separate the two. And, and so I think scripture is consistent, like all of it. And what makes him worthy is not that he's strong and powerful, but he's the lamb that looks like he's been slaughtered. And, and so I think that we struggle in our current situation to understand that if Jesus were to come today, it could be like Gerard, Ohio, which who's ever, I think I just heard of that town. There's this little town, like I think it's over by Pennsylvania. So one of somebody was going to go there and I'm like, never even heard of that. Right. Um, and, and so I think that we would do well to understand that the consistency of who Jesus was is the same consistency that he wants to be today. And the way he showed up and incarnated himself in Nazareth and Bethlehem would be the same way that he wants to incarnate himself into our world today and our life today. And, and that the way he lived would be the way he still wants to be present in our midst today. And and we've turned it into something once again that turns into politics, turns into who's in control, turns into who's in power. And when Jesus has come, he's gonna be different Jesus. And um and I'm just not so sure. I don't know that I actually see that in scripture. And so if that's the way he chose to incarnate himself, or though if those were the people that were important, I don't think it was just when he was here, it's, it's, that's what the kingdom looks like, like holistically. Um, and, and how do we, how do we try to 
teach or think or help people understand that that wasn't just for that time and place, but that was who Jesus still is today and how he still wants to incarnate himself. And if it's what I think we would both say is if it's through the church that that happens, how are we how are we living into that gospel, into that narrative and still allowing Jesus to be incarnated in our hearts and lives and in our communities and in our our gatherings and in all of what we do so that the world can see um, what what God actually looks like. We don't usually on this podcast turn our uh, conversations into devotional thoughts, but I might risk that here at what I'm about to say. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, so, new adventure, the evangelicals devotion. <laughs> so if you read Mary's Man- Magnificat, you find a woman who is incredibly content, hmm. one who's satisfied, one who feels that she's seen God. Yeah. But if you think about the situation, it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, the birth was terrible. The crucifixion of the, her son was terrible because it's not like she's writing this. Uh, I mean, there there are people that would say, you know, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in their heart that Luke, that, you know, Mary hands Luke kind of something that she wrote after Jesus was born and that she kind of held on to it. That's possible. It's also possible that, you know, that when she's talking with Luke, giving him, you know, this account, because it does seem like Mary's it definitely in his ear. It's, you know, that, that this is, you know, after kind of a lifetime of development and seeing the whole thing that she wrote this we don't, there's no way to know, obviously, you know, even if Luke being a better writer than Mary may have, you know, made it more eloquent. I, and I don't want to start the historical critical argument. I just, I just want to say, it does seem like Luke wanted to include this content from Mary that was an expression of how she felt, mm. of what, of what happened to her. And she is incredibly content. Yeah. She is satisfied she's convinced that she's blessed of god and all that she was was a servant yeah she got nothing out of it yeah i mean her life was not awesome right like i i think that we want to lift up mary um you know the queen mother in you know queen of heaven as if she was queen on earth because she wasn't yeah she was not at all and but what she gives us is a glimpse of what it looks like to be in communion with god and honestly i think that for me i'm finding that to be a minister that has integrity with the incarnation existentially means that i means uh embracing contentment because my life is not exactly the way that I want it to be. Yeah. And that's quite all right. I, I think you're getting at a great Advent word, joy. And um, I, I heard a quote from a guy that survived the Holocaust that I think speaks to this. And um, I think his name was Victor Frankel. Anyways, he was saying the reason there was still joy in the midst of a prison camp in Auschwitz or whatever is he's like, because we understood that the most important part of our life was the why 
rather than the how of what we were doing. And sometimes I think we get focused on the how, how is this going to happen? And there's no way this could happen rather than focusing on, but why am I living this way? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why? And, and, and I, I think that is kind of just fascinating that Mary just had a baby in a barn, which was kind of the point to my congregation. And it says, and she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Treasured what? I mean, yeah. I mean in our perspective, if we actually think about the situation, I don't know that many of us would see anything there worth treasuring. Right. So I think that the point I was trying to bring up was to say the why trumped the wow, the how of whatever. Like there was some, there was some wow there too. Yeah. So wow. (laughs) But the how, like, okay, if it's got to happen in a barn, that's cool. But my purpose is the why this is happening because God's going to reconcile all things to himself. I don't know that she could conceptualize that as a, but she knew through the angel that the why this is, this is, this is pretty big deal. And it allowed her in the middle of uh, just a, a silly example and um, talk about football a little bit. But um, I don't know if you watched the game, the Patriots and the bills a few weeks ago. I was so afraid that you were going to bring up the, like the Bama Georgia game or something. like No, this. no, 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 no. Uh, I am going to talk about Alabama quarterback with the Patriots, but uh, yeah, Jones. no, he's somehow just made his way into our <laughs> podcast. I noticed that. Yeah, did you watch the game? I didn't. Wind, snow, fifty mile gust. Um, the Patriots ran the ball forty six times, and they threw it a total of three times. Mac Jones was two for three for nineteen yards, but they won the game. And um, now as a quarterback, it's about your stats and your, you know what. He threw the ball three times Yeah, in the this fantasy, game. fantasy points are not huge there. No, no, no. Eli and Peyton do this cast. They were just ribbing him, making fun, poking fun, like, ooh, Mac Jones warming up on the sideline. Watch out. And uh, ooh, look at his footwork. And, uh, and they interviewed Mac Jones after the game, and they said, have you ever thrown that many times, like that few times in a game? And his answer was unbelievable. He said, you know what? really doesn't matter how many times you run or throw as long as you win the game. That's the important part. And so for Mac Jones, the why was we're going to win the game. And it does. the rest of it doesn't matter. My personal uh, fulfillment doesn't matter. My personal stats don't matter. The why of why we're playing the game is to win, not so that I can go 25 for 30 or whatever with 350 yards. And I just thought it was interesting that that we would potentially look at that and say, oh my gosh, my comfort, my whatever. And I think Mary in the midst of her situation was, however this happens, this is to serve a way bigger purpose than just my personal comfort. And there can be joy in the midst of my uneasiness, my in the middle of the Holocaust, there can be joy because their connection to their God, nothing could sever that. And so whatever it looked like, living our life for something bigger than ourselves. There can be joy in the midst of it. Um, and so I would, I, I, I think Mary's pondering and treasuring. You're just like, what? I mean, when you really think about it, but we've romanticized it and we've made it this, um, this big thing. And, um, well, you talk about the, why the, the incarnation in my perspective also gives us a clue at the point of life. Mm. So in the garden, God says, Adam, Eve, where are you? After they had sinned, God was looking for them because he was wanting to just be with them. He was wanting to just walk with them. Emmanuel, 
means God with us. Yeah. This life is really amazing. This life is miraculous. This life is worth living. And the point of life is to be in community and in fellowship and in relationship with others. Yeah. That's the point. And God shows us the point by coming. And the point for God is not to be friends with the coolest people. The point for God is not to be on the inside click. The point for God is not to get a lot of recognition. The point for God is to come to live in intimate relationships and to serve. Mm. And if we want to live in integrity with the belief in the incarnation as Christians, that ought to be our why. Yeah. To celebrate the beauty of life, of life, to live to live in relationship, to consider, oh yeah, I am blessed even though that I'm I'm mourning. Mm. I have I have breath in my lungs. Yeah. Praise God. You know, I'm favored of God. Yeah. Although I under although I feel very lowly. Although I don't have a lot of Twitter followers, although nobody likes my Facebook posts, which I should probably just get off there anyway, <laughs> that that's not the point of life. Yeah. The point of this is the point of life. This what a beautiful conversation. I'm sitting I'm sitting across from my friend Jeremy. Yeah. Just just talking, being together. You know that this this is this is this is beautiful. This is. This is incarnation. This is caring, you know? And really, if we allow it to, the the idea of the incarnation could reframe our why. It should reframe our why. Um that that so if the point and, and the why is for as Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven, mm. if that's the why then it changes the dynamic when other things happen around me. I can still have a joy because I know I'm living for something different. That when life might seem to crumble around me and I don't get the promotion or I don't get the clicks on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and I don't get this, the that's fine because that's not why I'm living. I'm living to see people be brought into community and those who are on the underside of society to be lifted up. And I'm living for, for God's reign and God's rule to be brought on earth, not in a um, powerful way that, that we, we think about power and reign and rule, but to reign and rule in, in the hearts and lives of people and in the midst of the community that they call him their King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so I think if that's the why, People can lose elections and I can, it's going to be all right because my why is way different than, than that. And so I think, um, yes, it could, but I think the incarnation incarnation should change how we, we interact with each other, how we interact with the world, how we interact with people at our job, how we interact with the prisoner and the thirsty and the naked and the 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 orphan and the widow and the foreigner and the you know the the exile it should change all of it and and i i don't know that we have seen fully what it might look like for a group of people to truly center everything they they are on the fact that god did come 
and and how he came and who he came for and who he did hang out with and who he did say was important and um but it, it's something that that I think I'm hopeful I think it can I think it can happen I think it can and that's our hope for you all this Christmas is that the incarnation the reality of it the the truth of it that it would change your life that it would reframe the trajectory direction of your life that we would allow, allow Christ really to transform us my favorite Christmas lyric is uh, from a little town of Bethlehem where meek souls will receive him still mm. the dear Christ enters in and I I pray that Christ would shape my own life this Christmas season and yours as well Merry Christmas everybody Merry Christmas The Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 